This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. If you're new today, we have been going uh, through some of the main passages in the New Testament that deal with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so we have come to chapter 8, and last time I was with you, we looked at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 8 of Romans, which when you think about the New Testament's teaching on the Holy Spirit, the 8th chapter of Romans is the chapter where the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than any other chapter in the Bible, and it's one of the greatest chapters overall in the Bible. So what we're going to be doing in the month of August is we're going to continue to walk through this great chapter in God's Word, verse by verse. So last time we looked at verses 1 through 4, and today we're going to pick up in verse 5 as we continue to look at life in the Spirit. What does life look like when the Holy Spirit is in charge? Okay, and so that's what Romans 8 is is all about. So let's look at it this morning in verses 5 through 11, if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'll tell you what, we're going to go back to to verse 1, just sort of to get the flow of the text here. Let's begin reading in verse 1, and we're going to focus today on verses 5 through 11. The Apostle Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray together. Fathers, we have read your word. We now pray that your spirit would help us to understand it and give us the grace to apply it to our lives. 
Lord, we lift up today our team in Bangkok. We know that long before their feet ever touched the ground in Thailand, that you had already been at work, that you had already been at work in the lives of people that they're going to speak the gospel to this week and show your love to and deliver food to. We know that you had already been preparing the hearts of people even before our team arrived and that you have already prepared the good works for them to do this week as Ephesians 2.10 teaches. And Father, we know that you have prepared us for this hour, that our being here right now is not an accident, that we're here because you purpose for us to be here, and we also know that, that you have purposed things that you want to do in our lives right now. And so we pray that you would prepare us for your word. We pray that you would rivet our attention upon you and that your spirit would speak, that, that as we sung a few minutes ago, that, that you would come and move in us, that you might work through us when we leave this place and enter our mission field this week. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Some years ago, uh, InterVarsity Press, one of the leading Christian publishers, re-released a series of their greatest books through the years. And they came out with new introductions and covers and so forth. Knowing God by J.I. Packer was one of them, and Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer, and Basic Christianity by John Stott, and another book in that series of InterVarsity Press classics was a little 85-page gem by John Stott entitled, Your Mind Matters. Your Mind Matters. You know what? John Stott was right. Your mind matters because there is a very tight link between the way that we think and the way that we live. The link between our, our, our minds and the way that we live, our behavior, is so intertwined. And so the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind. Your mind matters. And listen, our minds today, right now, they're not parked they're driving. They're driving under the influence. They're driving under the influence of either the flesh or the spirit. And that's where Paul begins here in this text. He's talking about two mindsets, isn't he? Two very different mindsets. And we see this in verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh... 
set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh here in verse 5, he is not talking about this. He's not talking about your skin. In fact, he's not even talking about your body. When he talks about the flesh here in verse 5, he's referring to our sinful nature. Okay, the sinful nature that we all have. We were all born curved in on ourselves, as Martin Luther put it. We were all born with a bent in the direction of sin. You know, just the, 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 the normal, natural, default mode of our lives. Is, is not to focus on the glory of God. The, the natural thing is for us to be self-focused, not God-focused, okay? To be focused on the, the things of, of the flesh. So he's talking here about the sinful nature that we all have, okay? Our, our, our orientation toward sin. And he says that those who live according to the flesh, okay, those who were outside of Christ, not redeemed, he says that their minds are set on the things of the flesh. In other words, their minds are all about this world, the things of this world. Um, Their minds are certainly not focused on the glory of God. But he says those who live according to the Spirit, those who are born again, those who are in Christ... Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, the Greek phrase that's translated as set your mind means to focus intently on something. It means to have your imagination captivated by something. It means to be preoccupied with something. And Colossians 3 tells us what our minds are to be captivated by. I just love this beautiful text in Colossians 3. Paul says here, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, there it is again, set your minds on the things that are above not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, as a Christian, you have a new identity. You have been raised with Christ, spiritually speaking. You were once dead, as we're going to talk about later in this message in a few minutes, but now you've been made alive. You've been regenerated by the Spirit. You've been raised with Christ And so you've got this new identity. The old you is gone, okay? You have died, it says in verse 3. And you've got this new life, this new life that is hidden with Christ in God. You know, one of the advantages of of having a couple of weeks where without the pressure of preparing sermons, and I love preparing sermons, one of my favorite things to do, but uh, sometimes it's good to have a couple of weeks where you're, you're not doing that because... You're able just to read the word without getting a sermon together. And so over the past couple of weeks, I was able to, to read through Romans really closely and Galatians closely and 1 Corinthians 
closely and sort of jot down some things that I was learning. And one of the things that just I saw clearer than I'd ever seen it in the past couple of weeks is that, you know, when Christians are struggling with sin and temptation, the advice that they often get in churches is very different from the advice that I think the Apostle Paul would give. Um, Because so often we say to the, the, the struggling, sinning Christian, essentially, buck up, get it together. You know, we may not say it in those words, but that's kind of what we're saying. I think Paul would say something very different. I think that Paul would say, look, you need to understand who you are. You need to understand your identity. You are new in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. You have spiritually been raised with Christ. You've got this new life that's hidden with Christ and God. And so, as Paul says in Romans 6, how are you to think of yourself? Well, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And later on in Romans, he's going to say, hey, hey, listen, the, the, the night is, 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 is far gone. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Why? Because you've been raised with Christ. You are new. So therefore, think of yourself as new. It, it would be like if you had two sets of clothes in front of you. You got up in the morning and you've got these two sets of clothes and one set is clean and it's 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 comfortable and it and it fits perfectly and it's right there and then right beside it you've got another set of clothes and it just reeks. They these clothes reek. They stink. They're dirty. They're gross. You know, they're they're ill-fitting, they're unattractive, okay? The Bible says that as a Christian, you belong in that first set of clothes, okay? That's who you are now, right? You've got a new life. You've got a new identity. I mean, why would you go back and and wear that, you know, filthy set of clothes? That's not who you are anymore. You are new. So therefore, you need to think of yourself as new. Okay, when we struggle with sin, that's the kind of thing that we need. It's like we, when we sin, we forget who we are. <laughs> we forget that we are new in Christ, that we've been given this new life in Him. Okay, remember who you are. And that, and that means thinking differently. That means having a new mindset. Okay? So he talks about two mindsets. Second, he talks about two results. Two results. And we see that in verse 6. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You see, these two mindsets, they have two very different outcomes in this life and the next. Now he says, first of all, to set the mind on the flesh is death. Tim Keller, in commenting on this says being controlled by our own desires rather than God's can only lead to a life that is far less than what it should be. It must lead to conflict internally and with others instead of peace, to slavery instead of freedom, 
see Romans 6, and to death rather than life. You know, it's, it's like a highway and the only exit is marked hell. So what do you do? Turn around. Turn around. Head the other way. That's what repentance is. Choose life. Life. Because what does he say? He says to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It's peace. It's, it's, it's peace with God. Romans 5.1, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And listen, this inner tranquility, this, this inner peace that we get when our minds are set on the things of the Spirit leads to not only inner peace, but peace with others. Because when we have that sense of inner peace, the way that we treat other people is different, and it tends to, to lead more to peace in our relationships. Now, what Paul is going to do in verses 7 through 11, is he is gonna, he's going to drive home everything that he's been talking about in verses 5 and 6. He's gonna, it's going to be like a wood screw going deeper and deeper in. And what he's going to do is he's going to summarize. He's going to summarize what the flesh life looks like, and he's going to summarize what the spirit life looks like. First of all, he gives us a summary of the flesh life, the life that's under the control of the sinful nature. And it's not a pretty picture. He says in verses 7 and 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's unpack what he's saying here about the flesh life. First of all, in the flesh life, the mind is far from God. He says in verse 7, the mind, he talks about a mind that is set on the flesh. And remember what he means when he says set on something. It means that you're, you're intently focused on something. In other words, you know, if you're, if you're being controlled by the sinful nature, then your mind is going to be set on wherever your sinful nature takes you. And that can manifest itself in all kinds of ways. But whatever, whatever the, your instincts or the appetites of your sinful nature are, that's what your mind is going to be set on. And it could be different things for different people at different times. You know, it could be um, sexual sin. Uh, it could be a, a lust for, for power, for position, for popularity, you know, for... Uh, the acclaim of, of people. It, it could be a desire to dominate other people. It could be a desire to take revenge against other people. Uh, you know, malicious thoughts about others. I mean, it could be a desire to get drunk or high or just constantly be entertained or what, you know, the list goes on and on. But the point is that wherever the desires of the sinful nature take us, okay, that's where the mind is going to be, to be set on. 
if someone is in the flesh, it's going to be far from God. It's certainly not going to be focused on the glory of God. It's going to be far from that. And then second, he tells us in verse 7 that in the flesh life, that the mind is hostile to God. He says, continuing in verse 7, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now you say, Pastor, wait a second. I I know people who don't claim to be Christians, but they don't seem hostile to God. I mean, you know, they're not like Richard Dawkins, you know, they're not out, you know, some militant atheist, you know, writing books against the faith or, or anything like that. Um, but, but see, for someone to be hostile to God does not necessarily mean that they're a, a militant atheist or an atheist at all. Do you realize that you could be seated in a church pew and be hostile to God? Because, listen, if the inward stance of your life is, I'm going to run my own life. God, you're not going to run it. I'm in charge. I'm going to run my own life. Now, friend, that posture, that inner stance is no less hostile to God than the stance of the militant atheist. You know, that's hostility to God when we say, God, you're, you're not in charge. I am. You're not going to run my life. Okay, that's, that is hostility to God. Um, third, there's rebellion against God. Again, he says in verse 7 that the mind that is set on the flesh does not submit to God's law. Now, in a way, this is like dark comedy because, I mean, just imagine puny human beings shaking our puny fist in the face of an almighty, omnipotent, sovereign God who gives us every breath that we breathe and can take it away any, at any moment. Imagine puny people like us shaking our puny fist in the face of an almighty God and saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to disregard. I'm going to diss you and what you say. And, I, and I, I'm going to do it my way. I mean, you know, it's, in a way, it's, it's, it's laughable to contemplate that. You know, we saw an example of just kind of over-the-top rebellion against God at the ESPY Awards a few weeks ago when a man who was dressed as a woman was given the award for courage. Now, now what is that? Okay, that, that is humanity shaking, shaking fists in the face of God and saying, you are not going to define virtue. We are going to define virtue. We're going to play God. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, well right, yeah. Because, I mean, that's an over-the-top, overt example of rebellion against God, obviously. But, it's so easy for people like us to look at something like that and gloss over rebellion against God in our own lives. Because again, you know, we can claim to believe in God and we can be sitting in church 
And if the inner posture of our lives is that we are in charge and we're going to run our own lives and we say, God, there are areas of my life where I am not going to submit to you. I am not going to submit to you. I am going to hold on to these areas of my life. They're mine. They're not yours. Friends, what is that? That's rebellion. That's, that's just sheer rebellion against God. And so, the mind and the flesh life is far from God. It's hostile to God. There's rebellion against God. What else? There's deadness to spiritual truth. There's a deadness to spiritual truth. Now, what does he say at the end of verse 7? The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Wow. What does he mean by that? That it, it cannot. Why? It's because there's a spiritual numbness there. There is spiritual deadness there. I mean, what is our natural state apart from Christ? What is it? Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.1 what it is. It says, and you were, this is our pre, uh, before Christ life, okay? Before Christ, you were what? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now let me ask you something. What can a corpse do? We were, before Christ, before we were regenerated, made alive by the Spirit of God, what were we? The Bible says we were dead. We were spiritually dead. I mean, we were walking around, we were alive physically, but spiritually, we were dead. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation with someone who doesn't know Christ about the gospel? And... You know, they could be like a really otherwise intelligent person and you share the good news of Jesus with them and they respond to you with something that's like completely off the wall. Have you, ever, have you been there in these conversations? I mean, you're sharing, you're sharing the gospel and they come back at you with something that indicates they don't understand a thing I'm saying. You know, and you're trying to make it clear and it's, it seems simple it's not difficult to understand, but yet there's just something, it's like, it's like their minds are just darkened. There's like there's a veil that prevents them from understanding anything that you're saying. I mean, they just don't get it. Their eyes are glazed over. They're asking all, questions that don't even relate to what you've been talking about. What is going on? I mean, Paul tells us what's happening. You know, he says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Erwin Lutzer uh, pastored Moody Church in Chicago for many years, and he, sometimes he teaches a preaching class at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School outside of Chicago. And... He would, he would take his preaching classes out to a cemetery on a field trip. And he would look at one of the headstones in the cemetery and he would begin preaching the gospel to the, to the headstone. To, he would say, Mr. Smith, you need to, Jesus Christ died for your sins. 
He rose from the dead. Repent and turn to him. And he would look at his class, and they're all looking at him like he's crazy, and he would say to them, okay, I want you to understand, this is your assignment. And you know what? It's your assignment. Whenever we speak the gospel to, to those who don't yet know Jesus, we need to understand that we're talking to a dead person, spiritually speaking. Okay, they're dead. So why do we share the gospel? Because we have a God who specializes in raising the dead. That's why. God raises people from the dead spiritually. One day, he's going to raise our bodies. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But listen, every time that a person is saved, a person has been raised from the dead spiritually. And God does that through what? He does it through the proclamation of the gospel. And you see, this is why we should seek to share the gospel as often as we can, with as many people as we can, because in the lives of some of those people, the Spirit of God is going to be at work. And I'm telling you, when the Spirit is at work, it doesn't matter how eloquent we are or how not eloquent we are in sharing the gospel. When the Spirit is at work to draw someone to Christ, they're going to come. Okay? It's going to happen. Life is going to happen. It's going to happen. And that's not something that we control. You know, Jesus says in John 3 to Nicodemus, he says what? He says the Spirit blows wherever it wills. Wherever it will. We don't manipulate that. We don't control that. Our job is to go out and to share the good news of Jesus. With as often as we can, with as many people as we can, share Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Bill Bright once said, Share Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. That's what we do. Okay, that's our, that's our assignment. And praise God, he specializes in raising the dead. And you know what? When you think, well, you know what? That can't happen. I know I've got unsaved family members. I've got unsaved friends. And they're, they are so far from God. Um, that I just can't see that happening. Hey, what makes you so special? Weren't you once dead in sin? Were you any less dead than your unsaved family members, your unsaved friends? No, we were all dead in sin. And the Spirit of God gave us life, right? And so don't give up on people. Pray for them, love them, share the gospel with them, and trust the Spirit to do the rest. Okay? But outside of Christ... There is a deadness to spiritual truth. We need to understand that. Now, what he does in verses 9 and following is he gives us a summary of the spirit life. Now the clouds part, right? Have you ever been on a plane and you take off and it's cloudy, rainy when you take off and then you get above the cloud line and it's just sun, beautiful clouds, right? We're gonna, we break now into... The sun. (laughs) He gives us the summary of what the spirit life is like. Verses 9 and following. You, however, believers, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead... uh, 
dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now, in verse 9, he changes tenses here, doesn't he? Right? He's, he's been talking in the third person. What he says in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so he's talking about um, unbelievers. Okay, he talks in the third person. Now he shifts very abruptly in verse 9 to the second person, and he says, you, however, you, believers, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now Paul here is teaching something very foundational, and that is that if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. If you have been born again, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, can Christians grieve the Holy Spirit by our sins? Certainly. Do Christians need fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives? Absolutely. Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit. It means be continually filled with the Spirit. Yes, we need fresh fillings of the Spirit continually throughout our lives. And we can certainly grieve the Spirit by our sin. But listen, friend, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. This is not in doubt. I mean, Jesus is very clear here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. I mean, the concept of a Christian without the Holy Spirit is not something that would occur to the Apostle Paul. Again, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then he says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, and he is, if you're a believer, although this body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And what is he talking about here? What Paul means is this. Our situation now, we're sort of in between. It's an in-between time for us because we've already been redeemed Right? We already have, we've got the spiritual, we're spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit is within us. But we still have these unredeemed bodies, <laughs> okay, that are still subject to aging and illness and sin and death and decay. But within those bodies, something new and beautiful is happening. Okay, and that's why he says, like in 2 Corinthians 4.16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You ever know Christians, maybe, maybe older Christians, who, uh, as, you know, their, their bodies were obviously beginning to get weaker and weaker. But yet it just seems like they, there's, their countenance just gets, uh, they've got a glow. Their demeanor 
is just sweeter and sweeter. They're, they're more and more loving and gentle and, and, and peaceful, even though their body is fading. I mean, I know people like that. I know people in this church like that. That's 2 Corinthians 4.16, right? Outer selves may be getting weaker and weaker, wasting away, but in, inwardly there's this beautiful renewal that's happening. Okay, or maybe in the life of somebody who's terminally ill, body getting weaker and weaker, but yet you can see there's a radiance about them. Something beautiful is happening internally. However, one day, one day, it's not going to be an in-between time for us anymore. One day, we're going to have bodies that are not going to be subject to decay to aging, to disease, to illness, to sin, to any kind of infirmity. No. And that's what he's talking about in verse 11. He says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you going to happen when Jesus returns. And, you know, I, I love this. This is, this is a picture of, um, this is Charles Spurgeon's grave, great British pastor in the, ni- the uh, 1800s. Um, and I don't know if you can read this or not, but on Spurgeon's, Spurgeon's grave, it says, here lies the body of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, waiting for the appearing of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because on that day, what's going to happen? New bodies. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, I'll tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay, if you're alive when Jesus returns, or if you're, if you're, if you're in the grave when Jesus returns, we're going to all be changed, right? We're going to all get resurrection bodies in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. But this perishable body, right, this perishable body, to, to be perishable means what? It means, you're, you know, we're subject, our bodies are subject to all those, those infirmities, illness, aging, death, all of that, this perishable, perishable body must put on what? Put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we know who wins. (laughs) We thank you that no matter what trials we go through in this life, no matter what happens with our physical bodies, aging, disease, um, all the things that these fragile, perishable bodies are subject to. 
we know that that's not the end of the story. We know that you put the period at the end of the sentence. We know that Jesus is coming again. We know that you're going to give us new glorified bodies one day. And until then, we thank you that you've given us your spirit who has raised us already from the dead spiritually. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, something beautiful can be happening within us. Even within these, these bodies that are wasting away, there's this beautiful, vibrant renewal that can happen as our lives are brought more and more under the, the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you would transform us by the renewal of our minds None of us have our minds set on the things of the Spirit to the degree that we would like. And so we pray that you would take control more and more of every facet of our lives, of, of, of everything that we think about, because we know that, that we know that our living flows from the way that we think. And so, Lord, we submit our minds to you. Give us the mind of Christ. Give us a mind under the control of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about knowing him, about a relationship with him, we would love to come alongside and and minister to you in in any way that we possibly can. I'm going to be here uh, during our invitation time and after the service today. If you want to talk about uh, being a part of the church family or just if there's a need for prayer in your life, uh, we're here for you now. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. 
I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.